Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Excited. It's going to be a great day. If you're new to our community, uh, welcome. And uh, every week we open up the Bible here at Oceans. And if you're brand new today, kind of what to expect is we're going to open up our Bibles today to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're starting a brand new series. We get excited about that. Good movies come in trilogies, and sometimes so do series. And sometimes the series are just, you know, I'm just kidding, they're always good. Um, but we're going to have a great time this morning together. Uh, I really feel like, you know, we pray as a church, and we were actually in our staff prayer time uh, this last week. And uh, I really heard this phrase, bold. I heard it, I heard it so clearly, B-O-L-D, bold. Say it with me. Bold. Come on, say, say wow. Bold. Say it backwards, wow. wow. Say it upside down. Mom, I'm, I'm kidding, no, it's getting annoying. Um, just making sure you're with me this morning. But uh, I heard this phrase, bold, and uh, I, I couldn't get away from this idea that right now, obviously 2020 has just been one of these crazy, I'm 36, I look 35, I'm 36, and um, <laughs> this is one of the wildest years. Gr- Rochelle's grandma's 100 years old, and she said, I've never seen, th- I've never seen a year like this. Uh, I think we'd all agree this has been the craziest, most dramatic year we've ever, we've ever been a part of. And uh, I'll be honest, I think that years like this, seasons like this, they go after a few things uh, that I really feel like I want to, if I could, declare war on today. I believe years like 2020, they create fear. They create timidity. They make you nervous, anxious, doubtful. And if you live doubtful long enough, you'll, you'll actually get confused. And I believe there's many people right now so confused. Do I stay? Do I go? Do I move? Do I transfer jobs? Do we relocate? Do we take our kids out of school, put them into school, public school, homeschool? Like we, we have all these scenarios that are floating around us, and it, there, there's so much uncertainty in the air. And I want to talk for the next two or three weeks, um, or until I run out of material. Um, it's okay to be honest in church. Uh, but I, I really do feel like there is one commonality throughout Scripture is that God did not use perfect people, but God used flawed people, but he made them bold. There was a boldness from the very origins of Genesis. You have a guy, come on, for 100, year, 100 years building a floating zoo, right, when it's never rained, and that was God's solution to saving humanity. And he was bold. And so you see from the very origins of Abraham all the way to Revelations, God used bold people. And I want to talk to you today about being bold. Is that all right? And so if you're into fear and discouragement and you want to linger, uh, I just haven't met too many people that are like, man, really the source of my joy is all my depression. I haven't met too many people like, you know what, man, I'm really, this worrying thing is really helping my health. But I have seen the opposite. And I want to tell you today that I believe in a God that we're going to teach about and, and share. I'm going to, I'm going to read uh, 19 verses if you're new to our church. Uh, I'm going to talk about a really famous story today about David. And maybe you didn't go to church growing up, but David and Goliath is actually in the Bible. Some of you thought it was just a cultural like story. Uh, but it's actually from the Bible. And uh, I know it's a very well, well-known verse. Some of you learned it in Sunday school. Some of you have heard it preached a thousand times. I probably heard it preached more than you. Because I'm a preacher. Come on, somebody. How do you know a preacher and a teacher? Preach, uh, teachers tell it. Preachers yell it. Come on. And so I'm going to yell a little bit today. I'm not mad, I promise. Um, but uh, I want to say uh, this is a very familiar passage. You know, the weakness with familiarity is you forget sometimes how beautiful something is. You ever walk into a cluttered house that's yours and forget about the clutter that's there because you're so immune to it? And it takes a family member that's honest Who's grateful for honest family members? Like, dude, I'm going to report you to hoarders if you don't clean your living room. Sometimes you get so familiar with Bible stories that you stop seeing the significance of them. And I thought it would be very appropriate to kick off our bold series by looking at a very bold young man by the name of David. David was uh, from a dysfunctional family from the wrong side of the tracks in Bethlehem. And uh, I'm going to read a little bit about a story today, but here's my point, and I want to just be up front with you. My intention is I'm going to read 19 verses. I'm going to pray. I'm going to keep lifting up the Lakers. We're going to win the championship this year. I want to remind everybody that's here, the last 106 weeks, I prayed for the Lakers. They were terrible when we moved to California. And look what the Lord has done. Not, not saying I, but it could be. Um, 
So we're going to pray for the Lakers. But here's, here's my point is uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start with some stories. And if you laugh, we call them jokes. And if you don't laugh, we called it a bad crowd. Um, but uh, we're not fun today. But my point is I'm going to give you some things to write down that you can take home and chew on this week. But I want to just say that one of the things that makes dynamic being here or watching is we believe in a God that's still powerful. Yes. And maybe compared to a lot of other churches, you're like, man, we're not going to just learn about God. I think there's a lot of very intellectual academic believers that are very poor with intimate knowledge. I think God doesn't want to just be studied as a parent. He wants to be enjoyed as a father. Anybody believe that today? So we are going to have fun today, but we're going to experience God. Some of you will get healed in this service. I believe some of you that have had addictions to drugs or narcotics, it's the same thing, um, or other drugs, pharmaceuticals, uh, or other things, I believe that God is going to liberate people today. And we're going to enjoy in the process. Everyone said amen. All right. So uh, if you have your Bible today, go with me to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Is it okay to have fun in church? All right, I want to make sure. I, I asked the Lord if I could still tell jokes uh, being a pastor, and he said yes. So if you, don't have, if you have a hard time with humor in church, uh, you can talk to God about it. It says laughter does good like medicine, right? Yeah. I want to take some good meds today. Yeah. All right. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to begin reading a, 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 about, uh, this, again, the story of David and Goliath. Verse 17 and 18, I just threw this in there for extra credit, but it says this. The dad, Jesse, said to his son, David, Take now to your brothers this ephah of dried grain and ten loaves. Say with me, loaves. And run with your brothers to the camp and carry ten cheeses. Say with me, cheeses. I just want to make this, this is not my message, but I want to make this point. David was the first delivery guy. He's the first pizza delivery man in the Bible. Maybe the only. So he brings this food, this pizza to his brothers. He shows up to the battle. And it says that at this battle, on two hillsides, there is the Philistine army, and there is the Israelite army, and there is one nine foot nine giant wearing about 125 pounds of armor, uh, who was head and shoulders above everybody else, and had a 20 pound spear in his hands, who talked like Arnold. Yeah. I love that I didn't have to say his last name. You know what I'm talking about? Why does everybody have an Arnold Schwarzenegger impression too? I'll save it, but um. He's got this crazy, brutish voice, right? And he begins taunting. And so David shows up. He hears the same thing that everybody else hears. But he responds differently than everybody else responds. And therein lies kind of my thesis for this series. I believe being bold is not ignoring what's happening in the world. But I do believe it's ignoring some of the way that people are responding to what's happening. So we see here that he shows up. And in verse, uh, verse 26... It says that David spoke to the guys around him saying, hey, what's going to happen to the man that kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Say with me, living God. And the people answered him in this manner saying, so it shall be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, right, the oldest of eight, when David spoke, he was aroused, his anger was aroused at David and he was upset. He goes, why did you come here? And to whom did you leave those few sheep with? I know your pride. I know you're an insolent heart. You, you've come here to see the battle. David's like, what have I done now? And he says to him, is there not a cause? I love that phrase. Is there not a cause? And he says this, then he turned from his brother who was trying to pick a fight. And he turned to another person and he said the same thing. So he goes on and he says, all right, what's going to happen? So the word gets out that David's like, I can take him. And so he finally gets an audience with King Saul. King Saul is the one that should have been fighting Goliath. If you read the narrative, Saul was a giant himself. He was probably 6'8 uh, probably to almost 7 feet tall. So he's the tallest person in, in Israel. But he defers his responsibility to this shepherd boy. And he goes, are you sure you want to fight him? You know, and he's like, I'm sure. I killed a lion. I killed a bear. This guy will be like them. God delivered him into my hands. He'll deliver me into this guy's. Uh, he'll take care of this. And so it goes on, and he says, all right, go ahead. Verse 38, almost done. A few more verses. So Saul clothed David in verse 38 with the king's armor. Yeah. Put a bronze helmet on his head. He also put some clothes, a, a coat of mail on his, on his body. And David fastened his sword to his armor, and he tried. Say it with me, tried. He tried to walk. He couldn't walk, but he tried. And 
He hadn't tested this armor and this sword. David said to the king, I cannot walk in your armor, for I have not tested them. So David took it off. Say it with me. Take it off. So he takes off this armor, and he took his staff in his hand. He chose for himself five smooth stones and, and, and from, that were from the brook and put in a shepherd's bag in a pouch. Say it with me, pouch. This is the first fanny pack in Scripture. David will argue it wasn't a fanny pack. It was a satchel, and Indiana Jones had one. Come on. But he puts five smooth stones in there, drew out uh, to the Philistines. So when he came, he began drawing near to David, and he bore his shield before him. Now, the Philistine, Goliath, looked at David, and he disdained him. For he was only a young man, but he was ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to him, uh, he said, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? He started calling David Twiggy. Come on, nicknamed him. What are you doing here, Twiggy? And, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And David said to the, to da, uh, the, and the Philistine said to David, excuse me, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. David responded with, you come to me with sword and spear, but I'm going to come in javelin, but I'm going to come to you today in the name of the Lord God of Israel, whom you've defied. This day, the Lord, say with me, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you, and I'm going to remove your head from your shoulders, and I'm going to start some shampoo after it. It's a joke. He said, I'm going to move your head from your shoulders, and this day I will give your carcasses of the camp of the Philistines, the birds of the air, the wild beasts of the earth, almost done, that all the earth may know that there still is a God in Israel, in California. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord, the Lord, does not save with the sword and the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hand. So it was when the Philistine arose and drew near to meet David that David ran. He hurried and he ran towards the army to meet the giant. Yeah. David put his hand in his, his, his sling, uh, his pouch, and he slung a stone at the giant in his forehead, so the stone sank into his forehead. He fell his face to the earth. David prevailed against him with a sling and a stone. There was no sword that David had, so David actually used his own sword and removed his head from his shoulders. I want to talk to you today about giant boldness. Is that all right? Say it with me, giant boldness. Before you tune me out, I know you've heard a lot of messages about David and Goliath. Let's look at this with a fresh set of eyes. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for uh, the story that, that is ancient but still powerful today. I know many of us have heard it taught and preached and shared and lectured and, and Bible studies, but I ask you today, would you please meet us where we are? Would you please nourish us with your words of life? And would you please use this story as a living example of what you're going to still do and still can do today? God, we love you, and I just thank you that you would continue to bless Oceans Church and the Lakers. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen, amen. Who remembers, uh, who remembers high school pretty well? High school? junior high. I remember a little bit, I uh, remember elementary school and being in a hurry to get to get to junior high school. And uh, it was so fun getting to junior high. And until I got to junior high, they're like, I need to get out of here. I need to get to high school. And you finally get to high school and you start making friends. And high school's crazy. I remember going to a public high school in Palmdale, California, uh, which is like a probably maximum three prison. And uh, so went to this high school and uh, literally remember just, you know, all the friends groups, I had friends in all these different groups. And I remember just years ago, I had this thought, it kind of came to me, it's kind of funny, is trying to imagine your parents and your grandparents if you went to high school with them. Wow. Kind of a fun exercise, right? I was just thinking, man, I wonder if I would hang with my parents in high school. And I just kind of created this fun comedy skit that I'll spare you today. Um, but I was just thinking about one of the fun things to do in the Bible is to insert yourself in the pages. I started wondering what it would be like to go to Gath High School with Goliath or to be a part of Bethlehem High with David. I started thinking about how crazy this would be, right? Can you imagine? Like David, David was this like little Rudy. He was, he was redhead. He was barefoot most of the time, kind of a hippie. Always had his harp on his back, right? Your first fanny pack at his high school, rocks. He was the guy carrying stones at school. He was in band, right? We know he was. He was first chair harp. And uh, David, was, uh, David was, you know, he, he, was, he was a good guy. He was, he was uh, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty
pretty smart, very calculated. He was the kid that liked to play with calculators. Carried a lot of pins in his front pocket. (laughs) He's going to beat me up when I get to heaven for saying that. Um, But it's amazing that he... uh, he, he grew up one way, and then you, you, you probably went to uh, BLA, Bethlehem Learning Academy. And, uh, and then you have Goliath, right? Goliath is this, this mammoth human being. Yeah. And by the way, archaeologists actually have been finding these bodies in the Middle East of like nine and ten foot skeletons. And so this is not a figment of someone's imagination. This is a factual event. And so this guy's nine foot nine, and I just can't imagine, you know, this guy, Goliath, was probably six feet in first grade, probably a varsity center uh, in fourth grade. They retired his jersey in junior high, right? Like, this guy lettered, he he had a a, a giant G on his letterman jacket in elementary school. And uh, just a a mammoth human being, we know that Goliath, uh, you know, scholars debate uh, where he studied martial arts, but many would agree that it was Cobra Kai. Um, sorry, I just threw that in there. Uh, but really, if we're being honest, modern day, he would be the equivalent, if you're a millennial, to maybe a hybrid of Buzz McAllister, of Biff Cannon, uh, Tannen, and Regina George. <laughs> he was one of the, the worst enemies in the Old Testament. Are you following me today? Just trying to paint a picture here. And I just imagine going to high school with this guy that he's nine foot nine. He makes big show in the WWE look like the little show. He's got a 58-inch waistline. He's got a 22-inch collar. He's, he's, he's a, a mammoth human being with a nickname for David called Twiggy. Wow. It's amazing that he comes. David looks like a little, da- David's a, a boy still. He's probably 17 when this event occurs. He doesn't have a, 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 a dad bod yet. He doesn't have a father figure. Come on. He's still a young boy, skinny and Rudy. That's why all of Israel, after he won, they were like, Rudy, Rudy. Another time. I love this, though, is that he comes to this guy, and literally, it was like a toothpick versus a tornado. It was a mini bike attacking an 18-wheeler. It was a Big Mac versus a Happy Meal. It was Danny DeVito. You know what I'm talking about? This was not a, it was not a fair fight. It was a toy poodle picking a fight with a Rottweiler. It was a homeschooler picking a fight with a public schooler. Shots fired. I'm kidding. Homeschoolers are cool now. They're cool now. It's been redeemed. It's been redeemed. But it is a wild window in history that Goliath is, is, a, is a monstrous man. And maybe today we don't have a nine foot nine giant taunting you and bullying you and actually maybe physically, maybe, maybe pushing America in a direction. But you better mark my words, there is still a Goliath force. There is still a Goliath spirit in the earth. And he looks a little bit different today. He's not carrying knives and swords. His blades today are unemployment, abandonment, abuse, depression, and fear. He's not walking in the hills of Elah taunting Israel today, but he is bullying you, maybe America, in your house, in your phone, in your office, or in your mind. See, Goliath brings bill that you can't pay. He, he brings grades that you can't make. He, 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 he brings people that you can't please, vodka you can't refuse, porn you can't resist, a career you cannot escape, and a past you cannot shake. Goliath taunts our future and says you can't face your future. His roar is heard on social media. It's heard on the news. It's, it's heard everywhere that we go in conversations in the break room. He's, he's, he's got this death grip that creates a doom, a gloom, a worse, a weakening that creates no hope and that people say, man, it's never going to change. It's always going to be like this. He has taunting lies of despair that doom over politics, that doom over economics. Goliath today is taunting, saying, our future generations are never going to know the life that you grew up with. Goliath today says that there's no strength in God or his church. Today's Goliath wants you to be fearful, wants you to be timid, wants you to be worried and confused. Worst yet, the goal of this Goliath is to steal your confidence in God's goodness. That's the goal of of the agenda of darkness in hell is to get you to question God does not care. God does not see. Kind of reminds me of the story of when Jesus was sleeping in the bow of the boat and they have to wake him up. Notice what the disciples said to him. They didn't say, do you not have power? 
They didn't say, do you not, do you not have authority over the wind and the waves? What was the first accusation of the closest disciples to him? They said, Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you know what fear and darkness and evil in the world tries to get us to do? It tries to rattle our foundation that God does not care. That God has left America to itself. That we're going to just reap what other generations have sown. That God, look, his judgment is it's here. His mercy is gone. And our best days are in the past. But I, I want to serve an eviction notice to that taunting lie of Goliath that says it has to stay this way, that God can't, that God won't, and that there is no hope for our future. I want you to know that when fear shapes your life, safety becomes your God. And when safety becomes your God, you will begin to worship the risk-free life. I want you to know the American dream may not, might not be the kingdom of God dream. The American dream is to get rich, right, to, to, to get a good education. Really, the goal is I'm going to get good grades. Mom and dad said if I get good grades, I go to good school. And if I go to a good college, then I'll get a good degree. And if I get a good degree, I can get a good job. And if I get a good job, I'll marry, I'll marry someone good looking. Then I'll have some good kids. And I'll be able to afford to live in a good neighborhood. Be able to send my kids to good schools. Have my kids have a good wedding. And then I can have a good retirement. And I can play good golf every day. Listen to me. That might be the American dream, but that is not the kingdom of God's dream. I'm not against safety. I'm not against comfort, convenience, and being blessed. But I will say this to you, that, that the purpose of life is not acquiring means. The purpose of life is stewarding meaning. Can I get an amen in the church today? And I believe that God wants his church to be bold. You know, 35 times in the Bible, it talks about boldness. Did you know that boldness? It's amazing. It says in Proverbs 28 that the righteous are as bold as a lion. It says the wicked flee when no one's pursuing. You ever experienced this before? When you do something stupid, your confidence is gone? You ever done something you shouldn't have done? Oh, I'm an idiot. And now all of a sudden someone, someone asks you a question. Oh, I don't know if I can. I'm not good enough. It's amazing how when we let wicked things into our life, it robs us of our confidence. But when you say, no, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. When God wants me to do it, I want to invite him all the way into my life. It gives you this God-saturated confidence that this little homeschool David had. And I'm telling you that God's desire is to fill his people with boldness here today. Do you know that boldness is powerful? To be bold means not to hesitate or be fearful in the face of actual or possible danger. Can I say it for the back? To be bold means not to hesitate or be fearful in the face of actual or possible danger. It means to be courageous or daring. It means to be willing to take risk. I'm telling you, if David was here today, he would tell you one thing. I bet David would write a book today if he was alive saying this, God's not safe. But New York Times bestseller, God's not safe. A story of David. Notice this about David. I don't have time to get into this, but notice this. David doesn't have miracles like Moses, the Red Sea opening up. Water flowing out of a rock. He doesn't have these crazy miracles of, of manna from heaven. He doesn't have blind eyes opening up and deaf ears opening up. The, the only great miracle of David is David himself. That God could raise up a nobody from nowhere, from the wrong side of Bethlehem, and actually take on the greatest champion on the earth. Give him a job and a life that he didn't deserve because he loves sheep. Who better to lead a nation into victory than a shepherd-trained warrior? I'll tell you that God uses past experiences. God uses past pain and failures. He'll use the appetites and the agenda and the resume of yesterday to set you up for what he's going to do in the future. I feel like preaching this morning, man. David was bold. David, was, David had a courage. And I believe that throughout history, God has used people that said, you know, I'm willing to be bold. I'm willing to be different. Right now, everybody's retreating. Everybody's playing it safe. We have to hoard. We have to store up. We have to, we have to, and I'm not saying that we're, we're, we're bad stewards or we're not planning ahead. I think it's good to have savings. Everyone said amen. Come on. The Bible, some, some generations made the mistake that Jesus is coming back any day and they didn't prepare for the future. One of my professors in college said that we should, we should, we should live like he's coming back any minute, but plan like he's never coming back. So we're always ready, living bold. I believe that, that one of the greatest things that God gives his children is the gift of boldness. Boldness is powerful, man. 
Boldness is this ability to stand up when everybody else is sitting down. It's amazing how it's just crazy. It just, it, 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 it just when problems have occurred, bold people always view them as opportunities for God. We always pray for miracles until we need one. God, do miracles in my life. And the next week you're like, we need a miracle. God, get me out of this situation. He's like, you prayed last week for a miracle. You ask for miracle, you get put in miracle needed situations. I want you to write this down that courage is manufactured in the presence of God. Come on, come on, say it for the back. Courage is manufactured in the presence of God. Why do some of you start feeling better when we sing songs on Sunday? Well, they're just really good musicians. They are, but it's bigger than the, than the lyrics that you're saying. You know, most of the lyrics that we sing in our church are actually scripture verses. And when you start singing God's word, faith comes by. There is something about elevating uh, the, the name and the voice. The Bible says he's, man, he, he's magnified his word even above his name. And we start declaring his goodness. It's so powerful when we start, we start declaring how big God is. Courage is manufactured in the presence of Jesus. Boldness is all throughout the Bible. John chapter 7, it says Jesus spoke boldly. He spoke, he spoke so boldly that everybody else is like, this isn't like normal churches. This guy talks like he actually knows God. Peter, James, and John, one of my life verses, Acts chapter 4, verse 20. <laughs> um, it says that they were uneducated, untrained men, but they could tell that Peter and John, they were bold, and that they had been with Jesus. I want you to know that God, when you are with him, he gives you boldness. And some of you are like, man, I don't know why, but man, I hang out with you, and I spend time with you, or you hang out with this guy from Ocean's Church. They, they're going through the same hell everybody else is, but they have a different spirit. That is boldness, friends. It is amazing that when boldness comes in, Paul preached with boldness in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 4, it says the early Christians prayed and they asked God for what? Boldness. Do you know why they asked for boldness? Because of persecution. What does the church need in moments of persecution? I'll tell you what it is. They need boldness. We don't need to cower, bend, bend down, get in the fetal position, suck our thumbs, and pray for some rescue. I'm telling you that God is coming for a church that is strong. Not on its knees crying, but on its, on its feet taking ground. For everywhere the sole of your feet treads upon, God is going to give it to us. I'm telling you that God is looking for a church that's like David that has boldness. Why did David have boldness? You'll have boldness when you're like David, and number one, you see things the way he saw it. Write it down. Say it with me. See. Do you know that what you see and how you see affects your attitude? You know why some of you are so discouraged? Is because all you're seeing is the news right now. All you're seeing is the newspapers right now. All you're seeing is social media posts right now. And I'll be honest with you, as long as your, as your fears are big, God will always be small. But notice David here. As soon as he comes on the scene, he's talking about God's bigness. I believe this, that bold people, they always have a big God. They always see a powerful, stronger, more willing, more able, more caring God. David, David's eyes seem to be more on God than the giant. It's interesting that nowhere in the Bible does it say that David came up to Saul and said, Hey, how, how, how much does he weigh? What, 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 what's his resume? What, what's, his, what's his fight record? What's, uh, how heavy is his spear? Uh, how educated is he? Where, what dojo did he train in? Who was his sensei? We don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Listen, listen what boldness does. Boldness does not ignore giants but it also does not ignore God. See, boldness is when you see the giants, but you focus on God. I wish someone would write that down today. See the giants, but focus on God. Because what you look at long enough is what you think about. And what you think about long enough will actually get into your heart. And you know it sneaks into your heart because it starts coming out of your mouth. I'm telling you, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. David models this, that God focus versus giant focus. David sees what others don't and refuses to see what others do. Can I say that again? What makes David different? When you're bold, you will focus on seeing what others don't see, and you will refuse to see what others do see. Can I say it this way? David got his degree, and he majored in God. 
I think today most Christians in America are minoring in God. God is an elective credit. He's like, oh, I got to get the degree. I have like four more credits to get. I'll just take some sort of spiritual prayer thing. I want you to know that Jesus is our major. Republican Party is not our major. Democratic Party, are you hearing me, is not our major. I don't belong to the elephant or the donkey. I belong to the lamb. Are you hearing me today? And I'm telling you that our courage is not is who's in the White House. It's in who's on the throne. And as long as our God is on the throne, we're going to be all right. Can I get an amen in this place? We focus. Because when you focus on the right things, this is amazing. It starts changing the way. Notice that he's not just focused on God. He says it like this. He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts and the armies of Israel. Armies, plural. This guy, David didn't know, look, David didn't know that, look, there was a commander-in-chief named Jesus. He said that Jesus has a military with a navy, with a coast guard, and with a marine corps. Come on, hoorah. Let's go, somebody. He said, there are armies of the living God behind me. It was almost like the prophet when he said, God, open up his eyes so that he can see that there's actually more for us than there are against us. I wish God could open up the eyes of American believers today, that they would see the walls of fire around our nation, that God is not through with our nation. God is still moving. In, come on, you believe it. Say amen. Some of us have zero expectation. You know what expectation is? Expectation is seeing something in God that's not here yet. Do you know why I love coming to church with expectation? Because you can kind of see it and sense it, man. Today, something's going to change in my marriage. Today, God is going to get a hold of my little girls. Today, something's going to break through in our church. Expectation is seeing something in God. Say it with me, seeing. I believe most people are discouraged because they're not seeing God properly. I wish I could put glasses on everybody in this church so they could see that, look, if you focus on God, giants tumble. But if you focus on giants, you stumble. This is the narrative of David. When he was focused on God, there was no one better than David. But when he wasn't focused on God, there was no bigger idiot. It's like, dude, what in the world are you doing hitting on Bathsheba when she's taking a bath? Leave her alone. He wasn't focused on God. He was focused on himself. And I want to tell you that what you look at long enough will be what you think about. That's why some of you, the best thing you can do is stop listening to the prophet Anderson Cooper and shut off the false prophet, come on, Tucker Carlson, and just say, look, I love all the, bless all of them, they're all great in Jesus' name, but God, I have to listen to Jesus. I cannot pump my head full of what ifs. I have to pump my head full of God wills. I don't know if you've ever read Revelations, guys. I know the future of this book. Well, well things, bad things could happen. Bad things have always happened. Bad things will continue to happen. Listen, we live in a fallen world. Our hope is not in a a uh, utopian, polyistic existence. Our hope is because last time I checked, I don't know if you know this stuff, but but uh, the uh, mortality rate in a, in the earth it hovers right around 100. percent I'm sure you heard that. It, no one actually is leaving this rock alive. My grandma used to say, "Lord, bring the upper taker before the undertaker." You know what I'm saying? But listen to me. The goal of this life isn't just safety and just comfort, and God's going to be good to me, and I'm never going to have any challenges. The, the, the narrative of the Bible is, is there's no great triumphs without some challenges. God loves triumphant stories. Are you with me today? What do we know, man? I just know that David never requested any of his stats, Goliath's stats, skills, age, standing, weight, uh, any of his armor. He didn't even ask for the meaning of any of Goliath's tattoos. He's like, hey, Saul, what's up with his skull and crossbone tattoo? Why does he have those teardrops under his eyes? He doesn't ask any of Goliath's tattoo meanings. He just literally, he acknowledges the giant, but he's focused on God. Do you realize, how do you know he was focused on God? Because number two, when you're, when you're seeing what God wants you to see, you'll start saying what God wants you to say. Number two, write this down, saying. Can I ask you, what have you been saying lately? Man, California's going to hell. We need to move out of here. We need to play it safe. We need to take it easy. I think Idaho's great. I think Texas is great. I have friends that live in all these states that Californians are moving to. If I'm being honest, I know I have friends watching from Idaho, so I'll be safe on this. But I'll be honest, my one pet peeve with Idaho when I lived there for 17 years was, is most people that move to Idaho, they move there for safety. Yeah. 
You know, it's hard to pastor a church that wants to take over the world when everybody that's in your church wants to just be there to play it safe. I moved here to sell my house, to pay cash so I can golf every day and take it easy. Listen, hell's not scared of those Christians. Hell's scared of the ones that are like, I don't care if I have to work a little bit more, if I have to grind a little bit harder, if I got to take some ground in California to push back the forces of hell on the earth. That's why I like Orange County. We got some movers and shakers in Orange County. We as people aren't scared of darkness and hell in the big Hollywood. We have a big God. And I'm telling you that when you see what God wants you to see, you'll start saying what God wants you to say. What you see affects what you say. David shows up on the scene in verse 26 discussing God. The first thing out of his mouth, who is this guy? Who's uncircumcised? Phil, this guy hasn't even... That defies the armies of the living God. He shows up talking about God. Actually, this is actually the, the main premise. No one else is discussing God in Samuel 17. The only person discussing God is David. No one else is discussing God. David discusses nothing but God. Actually, nine times that day, he says phrases like, The Lord, the armies of the living God, the Lord, the host of God of Israel's armies is with us. The Lord will deliver you into my hands. Nine times the Lord, nine times the God of Israel's armies. And I'll tell you this, when you have God on your brain, you'll have his words on your tongue. And the problem with most Americans today is we have the news on our brains. We have politics on our brains. We, we put our, our faith in, in saviors, in, in men. I want to just uh, re remind Orange County that our deliverance does not come from an elected official. If world's problems could be solved, and I think we should vote. Everyone said amen. I will vote according to my Christian values. I don't believe in dualism that I'm one way publicly and another way privately. What you see is what you get all the time. Can I get an amen? And we vote Christian worldview. Everyone said amen to that, hopefully. But I will say this, that if one man could solve all the problems in the world, it would already been solved. You can't lobby and you cannot put enough legislative laws in place to fix the human heart. Because the problem with humanity is not laws, it's the human heart. Evils, wars, adulteries, darkness, uh, uh, lust, perversion. You know where that originates? It's not in some law. It's in your heart. And that's why men can't fix humanity because God is the one that made the human heart. All right, yeah, half the room believes it. It's a tough crowd if you're watching online. What you say. I believe that God wants us to get our words in alignment with his words. Psalms 138 says, in that day when I cried out to the Lord for help, you answered me and you made me bold with strength in my soul. What are you saying right now? I believe the problem with most people in America that are believers is the only people we pray for are the ones that have our last names. Truth is, if God answered most of our prayers, most of the world would not change. What if God answered every prayer in this tent? Would you be better and Orange County be better or would the world? I think we got to get our eyes off of our Christian navel-gazing prayers. We have to start looking beyond just our children and our families and our marriages. We, we start there, but we do not end with just praying, God, bless me and keep me safe. I'm actually tired of just praying prayers of safety. I'm like, God, yeah, please keep us safe, but more than that, make us dangerous. God, give us some courage to take ground. See, the issue is today is that the Bible says we come boldly to the throne of grace. Hebrews 4.16, why? So we can obtain mercy, so that we can find grace to receive help in our time of need. I heard one man say, courage is fear that's prayed up. You know where courage comes from? Being prayed up. Some of you are going to dark environments every day. You know what you need? You need some courage. Well, where does that come from? Good question. It comes from the presence of who? It comes from the presence of God. When you start praying prayers that are bigger than just bless and keep our family safe, when you start praying prayers like, Lord, change eternity, shake hell, scare demons, evict darkness, populate heaven, flood the earth with the glory of God. I think God is looking for some people that don't just see God, but say what God wants us to say. And I'll be honest, yeah, it's all right. You want to clap? You've got a good hand clap. You're going to give a clap. Everybody doing good? 
I, uh, I'm convinced that your ask determines how you see God. Some of you ask God for little things because you think he's little. Some of you are scared of everything because you don't really fear God. I'll be honest, man. The only thing that quiets a lion is a louder lion. And some of you are so busy scaring the latest things to be worried about and fearful about. Can I just let you know that our uh, Department of Treasury, actually in the currency department, they, they used to train their employees by studying counterfeit bills. But after a while, they're like, there's just way too many counterfeits out there. We can't do that anymore. From now on, all we want you guys to do is study the authentic. Because if you know what a real dollar bill looks like, you'll be able to spot a fake one a mile away. I'm telling you, don't study all the latest fat well, studying this and that and the other. I, I dare you to just start memorizing scriptures, to start focusing on the promises of heaven. And I'm telling you right now that courage begins to flow when we start focusing and start saying the right things. I, I, I got this last night. I just feel like this is for many of you in this tent today. It's interesting that right before David kills a giant, changes his whole life, his whole family. You ever, it's like this weird hiccup in the middle of chapter 17 that his older brother tries to pick a fight with him. Doesn't it remind some of you siblings? Like, who had older siblings growing up? I had two older brothers, John and Lucifer. And um, that wasn't the same. His name was Satan. Um, listen, I had older siblings, but the crazy part was in the very middle of this, this destiny moment, there is this, this sour circumstance with his brother. And his older brother's like, you're a little arrogant punk. Go back home. What are you here for? And I love it. He's like, well, I don't know what I want to do now. He's like, this is what he says. He says, is there not a cause? And this is what I, I want you to write this down because this is the word God gave me. I believe God will use us boldly to slay giants if we do not get stuck with sour people. Sour circumstances. Write it down, sour. I believe most of you can't live, you don't live bold because you start engaging with some fight on social media that has no end. You get sucked into some thread that you are not talking somebody out of their view. Listen to me. Eliab was a sour person. And God gave me this phrase last night when I was praying for you. He said, Mark, if we're going to be bold, this is what you have to tell the people. How you handle broken people and dysfunctional circumstances determine if you're ready to slay giants. And some of you will never kill Goliath until you, until you start turning away from your Eliabs. Are you with me today? I'm not saying we harbor unforgiveness. I'm saying, Lord, bless my family. Bless that weird uncle, that strange aunt, that dysfunctional coworker. Lord, bless them. I have no unforgiveness towards them, but I have to turn to what you call me to fight. And some of you are so stuck with the sour people in your life that you can't slay the giants. You can come up here, man. I'm almost finished. I want to encourage you today that how you deal with the sour is what prepares you for giants. He turned from him, verse 28 and 30, he actually turned from his brother and he turned to somebody else. How do you handle sour people? Can I ask you, Orange County, how do you handle them? Do you have to argue with everybody that wants to argue? Do you have to fight with everybody that wants to fight? The Bible doesn't say that the world will know you by your ability to articulate doctrine. It doesn't say the world will know you by how academically trained you are in the scriptures. How, what degree black belt you are in theology. How you can karate chop and Bible thump somebody who's, 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 who's acting the fool. The Bible says it this way, that the world will know you're my followers by the way you, uh, oh, we don't like that word. We love people that vote like us. We love people that live in our neighborhood. We love people with the same life that we have. But listen, you know, one of the last things that Jesus said about the end times, and I think that we are in the third trimester of humanity. I do think that the baby is coming soon. I think Jesus will return. Call me old-fashioned, but I knew that the day will come that God will split the sky. And the same way that he left, the same way he will return. And he's going to come back for a victorious church. I believe something. We come back any day. He could come back any day, but the Bible says in Ephesians that he's coming back for a church that's without spot and without wrinkle. I don't think he's coming back soon because we're not there yet. And when the church starts getting it together, God will return. But I want to just go on the record to say that God is looking for a people that actually have faith, that, that, that love not just people they like, but even love their enemies. Man, I'll just tell you right now, you know what, you know what all of the opposition of 2020's done? It's made it easier to hate people you don't like. Can I just, can you write this down today? Any Christian worldview, any worldview 
that gives you permission to hate people is wrong. Quote me on that. I don't care if you're Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim. I don't care if you're Christian, if you're a Latter-day Saint, if you're a Catholic. Any worldview that gives you a license to hate humanity that's made in the image of God, it is a false narrative. It is a false worldview. 14 people in this tent believe it today, but it's the truth. God wants you to love people. We're going to bless the sour people in our life. How about this? Would you write this down? How does God... How does God give us boldness? You know where God will anoint you with boldness? With your sling. You know what your sling is? Like, Mar, I don't have a slingshot. Well, maybe a few of you do. But listen, you know where our sling is? Your sling is your boardroom. It's, it's your classroom. Your, your sling is your living room. It's your, it's your locker room. Your sling is the area of your influence. Your sling is what you're good at. Your sling might be your vocation. It's your passions. It's your point of interest. For some of you, it's your hobbies. I'll tell you, some of you are really good surfers so that you can impact other good surfers. And even the bad ones, come on. I'll tell you that God has given you a sling, not just for you to brag, but for you to honor God with that thing. I'll tell you, you can make millions of dollars for yourself and be empty. And you can make thousands of dollars for God and be happy. There is something about using what God gives you for God that makes you fulfilled. And the reason why some of you are so empty is because you are a master musician or you are a master carpenter or you're a master businessman or woman, but you have never used your skill for God. You've made yourself a kingdom. You've built yourself a castle, but you have never God, you never honored God's kingdom. Miserable people build their castles. Fulfilled people build God's kingdom. God has no problem with a nice house, a nice stuff, but he doesn't have a problem with that stuff has you. I'm telling you right now that um, there's something so liberating when you go, I think the reason why I'm good at talking is to encourage people. I think the reason why I'm good with numbers is I'm supposed to help people financially. I think the reason why I'm, I'm so good with, with leading teams or administrating or hospitality or with music is because God wants me to use this gift to honor him. I promise you, if you'll give him your sling, God will entrust you with giants. Some of you have never killed giants because you're not giving God your sling. Are you hearing me today? God, whatever gifts I have, whatever you made me with that's in your nature, I give it back to you. I'm not telling you to quit your job. I'm telling you to give your job to God. I've been asking God for a new job because I hate my coworkers. Start praying for them. Maybe God, you put me in their life because no one likes these people. Maybe I'm the first one to show them love. Maybe I'm the first one not to treat them the way they deserve to be treated. It's getting quiet at this church. I dare you, if we're going to be bold, to see what God wants you to see so you can say what God wants you to say. So that you can pass the sour test. And when you pass the sour test, you'll start entrusting God with your sling. And here's what faith does. Faith, lastly, it surrenders. I love verse 48. This little 17-year-old redhead sprinting down the hillside and in that moment he doesn't know if he's going to die but I love the fact that fear fear will always try to handcuff you before the battle faith does not care what happens it wants to try faith wants to take a risk faith says I might die on this thing but that's alright I'm like Shadrach, Meshach like my shack, your shack in a bendigo right in a bungalow I would rather die believing that God can deliver me than to bow and never know. So he surrenders the outcomes because write this down, outcomes belong to God. Obedience belongs to us. What are you stewarding? Are you trying to steward outcomes? Because outcome stewardship leads to fear. Obedience stewardship leads to freedom. I don't know what's gonna happen to God, but I'm gonna trust you. We'll start a church in the middle of a global pandemic in the middle of a race war, in the middle of a political war, in the middle of the craziest year on the earth, in a parking lot, in a tent, on turf, in the middle of Orange County, come hell, high water. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna sling this thing. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I am surrendered to what God wants to do. Write this last thing down. God is not in a box. Some of you need to liberate Jesus from your box today. You know, the Pal Jesus' Palestinian contemporaries tried to put him in a box. They tried to put him in a box back then. They called Jesus a revolutionary leader. 
So you know what Jesus did? He paid his taxes. Shut that down. They said he was only a country carpenter, but he was so brilliant that he confounded the scholars of his day. The Pharisees came to see miracles, but he denied their request. He did not bend to cater their, to their desires. Jesus defied easy definitions. He, uh, he was a Jew that attracted Gentiles. He was a rabbi that gave up the synagogues, gave up on synagogues. He was a holy man that loved to hang out with hooligans. He was, he was a, uh, in a male-dominated time in society, he recruited females. He talked like a king, but he lived like a pilgrim. People tried to designate him, but they couldn't. People still try, but they can't. Jesus is larger, he is better, he's kinder, he's more merciful and gracious, and he's actually much bigger than you think he is. Giants get small when God gets big. Giants get small when God gets big. It is impossible to meditate on the largeness of God and simultaneously freak out about the fear of man. And I'll be honest, if you're scared of people, it's because God's not big enough in your eyes. Some of you like today, some, I, I've learned long ago, I'm not trying to please the crowd, I'm trying to please God. You stand your feet today, I feel something in this tent. How many want to, who, wanna, who wants to have giant boldness? I want to have boldness that actually isn't scared of all the weird stuff floating around, circulating, people talking about. There is so much darkness right now in the world, and I believe God is ready to make a distinction. Jay Gaines, you're going to be bold. Reed Cummings, you are bold. Jesse, you are bold. Come on, I could go around this room. Katie, you are bold. Tino, you are a man of God. You are bold. Come on, Anna, you are bold. Melissa, you're bold. Brooke, you're bold. I'm telling you, Beth, you are bold. We are not a timid church. We are a church full of bold people. People that take God at his word. Amen? You believe that you're going to be a bold believer. Come on, put your hands together today. I don't see cowards in this book. Judas, one, one, one out of 12 of Jesus' believers was a coward. But that means 11 of them were not. Peter, James, and John, they knew Jesus in a, in a pretty amazing way. Who remembers the story of Mount Transfiguration? Peter, James, and John are there. Elijah, imagine this, Elijah and Moses show up. Peter's like, oh my gosh, we should build three tabernacles. And in the middle of his stupid sentence, God's voice interjects and goes, this is my beloved. Do you know what beloved means in that language? It means priceless and it means compared to no one else. So when Peter was trying to put Jesus on the same level as Elijah and Moses, God interrupted his sentence. He's not like them, he's better. There is none like my beloved son. He's higher than Buddha. He's greater than Muhammad. There is no teacher. There is no leader. There is no religious figure in history that got out of their own grave. Are you hearing me today? That's who we pray to. That's who we trust in. That's who gives us salvation. That's who heals our bodies. That's who restores our marriages. That's who delivers us from addictions. Come on, if you know his name, come on, shout his name. Hey, say it with me, Jesus. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.